Hello, my friends. Welcome back to this podcast. Um, I'm excited because the, uh, I guess, the company that I use to distribute this podcast, Anchor, now has an option where I can just upload one very large audio file and in just a couple of clicks of my mouse, this is distributed to multiple um, carriers, I guess, of podcasts. And uh, you might think to yourself, yeah, of course, that's how it how it works. Like, it's the internet. I mean, things are easy, convenient, low effort. Oh, no. It used to be as of, well, I guess, I don't know when they changed it. Um, for to use Anchor, I had to split up the podcast into like 10 minute sections and upload each one. So I had to export little 10 minute audio clips, then go in and individually upload each of these clips, which is just like, what? Why on earth is this like this? But now, ho, ho. Oh man, so much better now. I need to raise up my microphone stand a little bit. Apparently I feel like sitting with good posture, so this I gotta make sure that my this is lined up correctly. Um so I was just doing a bit of practicing on my newly minted horn, by the way. <laughs> For those of you that um ever come through Indianapolis or the Midwest or happen to live anywhere near here and if you happen to play an instrument that requires air and fingers you're gonna want to swing down to Franklin Indiana the home of the great Stephen Georges who um, just did a major well it wasn't an overhaul it was a COA, I believe it's called, cleaning something, an adjustment. That this is embarrassing. Sorry, Stephen. I don't know what the what the O stands for. Um, I think it's COA. But anyway, the point is, it is in very excellent shape now. Everything plays so good. The low end, the high end, and one of the things that he did. He told me that the neck was not fitting properly to the body. There was like a little bit of, I guess, air leakage. It was just not a snug fit. And I knew that. I mean, when I was playing it, like the neck would shift slightly. Sometimes it was like pretty loose. Um, he fixed that. He has like this contraption that allows him to change the shape of the base of the neck. So it fits like very snug now. And that, along with like all the other little tweaks he did, like some new pads, just to make sure everything's sealing, cleaning it, everything that he did, it plays like actually noticeably different. And I think the main thing is that like the horn overall is just vibrating at a much higher level than it was. And it's like I, I noticed it right off the bat right when I first tested it out um, 
and it's interesting when I've been playing it here at home um, I was even noticing this the other day like holding out a certain note like different things in my room will, will like vibrate and there's I've got this drum set in here which is not set up right now but sometimes like parts of the drum will vibrate when I'm playing certain notes and that that wasn't happening before and it's really kind of crazy because it's like I have to I, I kind of have to adjust what I'm doing because of how it feels a little bit different but it's it's great I um, have been experimenting with some reeds too I noticed all my reeds were getting just like well I think after like one of the big like um, drastic shifts in weather my reeds like they just all stopped working like I couldn't play like oh man none of them would work um, so I went and got I just had to go grab something else so I went and like actually bought a half size uh, easier so I got some <clears throat> some Van Doren two and a halfs and I, I was just breaking them in the past couple of days and actually they're they've been really good I mean we'll see once I get fully broken in I also got just some Rico Royals which are okay I mean they're pretty good too still breaking them in um, but yeah I was going really well like uh, with the Van Doren threes man and like if I got a good one it was just like so good I think it was I don't know if it was like a they they just feel a bit hard and also they're just getting like warped and I do a pretty good job of storing them so I'm not sure exactly what it was my guess is that I could have this wrong tell somebody that knows about this please tell me but I feel like when it's more humid reeds are harder to play just in general so like during the summer maybe it just makes sense to go down a half size and in the winter I can just go back to the threes or whatever I'm hoping that's what it is I don't really have any other basis for that judgment but other than just experiencing it I don't really know um, but yeah so I'm getting these reads going I mean I'd love to just go back to the threes I would hate to always be adjusting and like changing strengths or brands or anything I mean I, I really just want to get just one horn one mouthpiece one ligature one type of reed and just be set forever <laughs> and never worry about it but it, even if I am and it's not like I've been um, slacking off on practicing it's not I was thinking about that too it's like well if I'm not practicing as much these harder reeds the three Van Doren traditional which can be a little hard if I'm not shedding then it would make sense but like my chops are in good shape you know that doesn't really make sense um, but the two and a half seem to be um, good they seem that to be able to like yeah I'm always worried because like if I go softer yeah I can get like a little more projection and sometimes like better response and it's just easier to like zip around in the horn but then I just start losing body of sound and like losing you know what I think of as like the core and, and body of the sound I don't want to get 
I don't I don't think I'm getting too bright, but I just don't want to get the sound to get too thin and just like edgy and cutting. I don't really care for that too much. I just want to like have warmth and body and I'll be good. And I seem to get enough of that with the two and a halves. Um, again, I'll know once they're like fully broken in, I mean, they may just like not last long or I may just have to get threes and two and a halves and just like keep trying them both and then just like find and just use whatever works out of that batch. Cause I feel like maybe I'm somewhere in between strengths right now but we'll see we'll see in a few days what happens with these reads um yeah so i was practicing and i just had some thoughts in mind and i was like i'm just gonna try to record this now i wasn't really planning on doing this but i my chops <clears throat> were getting a little tired and i was like well i have to take a break anyway so i'm gonna do this i was uh working on this just really fundamental interval thing. Um, something I like to do, and actually, this is something I've been better at balancing out now, but like f for um, a long time, I, I think when I would practice, I would really, I would sometimes I would even go just like weeks without working on actual music and just working on like sound and basics of making the horn feel good and trying to get as good a possible sound as I could. And I've been doing that a bit today um, and really spreading it out and doing long tones. And one thing is like just trying to get um, my range a little bit higher, not even really getting into altissimo, but just like up into the palm keys and then like the start of altissimo, like G, maybe like A just trying to get it comfortable and get the response good and um, just make it feel as natural and easy as any other note. Like, you know, of course, that's always the goal. But basically just like what I've noticed and even over just the past week of doing that long tones starting on like C above the staff, holding each note for like one whole breath so doing like three C's, three C sharps, three D's up to like G, um, doing that a couple of times each day, man, really goes a long way. So if I'm, you know, maybe only spending 10 or 15 minutes on it, but it's like a noticeable change after a few days of doing that. Um, not only in like comfort and response, but just like the sound starts to open up um, it feels like I'm str straining less to just get those notes to speak and to just make them feel a little bit easier and, and maybe hopefully sound like a little bit easier too. Um, so working on that and then usually, uh, yeah, I know, I think I've talked about this, but like, I like to just start out with a lot of like soft, long tones and, and like even just blowing air sometimes. And then getting into spreading out the range with long tones and um, working on overtones as well. But then after I work up into the high register, then I like to jump down and then hold notes out in the low register. So like starting on G and doing the opposite thing. So like three G's um, holding each note out for like a whole breath, then F sharps, then F's all the way down to B flat. And then doing like some basic intervals like low B flat 
and then like f just picking other notes like up into the second register and just going back and forth from low to mid range or high range just really slowly. And then after that, just jumping into like some faster, like boom, 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 beam, boom, like little things like that. That's what I was just working on. It usually once I go through all that, then I'm like ready to go. I don't even really feel like I need to do scales or really anything else to feel like I'm at a hundred percent, um, just like not even warmed up, but just like really comfortable. Um, that was, uh, something, I mean, scales that they definitely don't hurt. <laughs> I mean that, but there, I think I, I just did them for so long that now it's just like, I almost feel like I don't get a lot out of it unless it's a very specific exercise or like part of a scale that maybe has like little tricky spots. Um, but I, I think now there are other exercises like the interval thing and overtones and, and, um, maybe some other, uh, angular type exercises where I have to leap around more. Um, but scales, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm not thinking about it the right way, or maybe I need to get more creative with how I go about it. But, um, yeah, like five minutes of scales and I feel like, okay, like I'm not really getting anything out of this. Even if I work up to like going really fast, I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions and it's not really challenging. Um, but yeah. I'll, I'm sure I'll be eating my words uh, in uh, one of my next YouTube videos when I try to demonstrate like some <laughs> scale exercise. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I think, you know, whenever you're, if you're, you know, learning an instrument, one thing that I notice a lot of people will do is, especially with like warm ups or what they consider to be quote unquote practice, is they're really just doing something that they can already do well just to make themselves feel good. And the more you're aware of that, then the more you can avoid that and stop wasting time. And then you can actually get better. Um, because that's something you kind of have to just like eat humble pie when you're going to go practice and just know that you, you're better off if most of the time you sound bad versus like most of the time sounding good. Cause if you sound good, you're not really getting better. You're just sort of like, um, retracing your steps that you already took. And why not try to force yourself to find a new path or, or just find something new. Um, and that's, that's one thing that's really exciting to me is like with practicing, sometimes I'll give myself just free time where I'll say, okay, let's just come up with maybe like an interesting pattern and just come up with something on the spot and just try to hear something, work it out and maybe build on it and develop it into something that's fun to practice, but also is like maybe like a cool musical idea. Um, I actually tried this out the other day and um, actually just posted it as my first Instagram reel. I finally got on the bandwagon there, but basically it's just like, uh, 
what is it? One, two, three, four. It's like a five note exercise. Um, that's those are the notes. So it's like you could think of it as like starting on like a flat six of a minor and then going to flat seven and then just down the minor arpeggio. So I was starting on B. So B, C sharp, B flat, G flat, E flat, ba da da ba ba. And then basically just transpose that whole thing down in minor thirds and then just repeat it until you get to whatever the lowest note is that you can do. Um, so ba da da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba ba ba. Um, so like once you get down to E flat, jump up to A flat. That's where the next pattern would start because A flat's a minor third down from B natural. So like I like that because it's something like the reason I like it is because like the harmony is not, it doesn't sound obvious and it's not, I guess part of it too is like I, I, I don't think I've heard this pattern before. So it's something that sort of excites my ears and it's like, oh, this is interesting. And I kind of have to think about it because it's like moving into different keys very quickly. So you could go, but at any time you could also jump to like a different starting note. So like when I did, I got down to my low note and then I restarted the whole thing up a half step. So I started on C. And then did the whole thing up a half step. So I'm having to think like, okay, what's the minor arpeggio that I'm playing down? What's the next starting note? And then basically just like thinking of the intervals after that. Um, the way I like to think about stuff like that is sometimes I'll think intervals. Sometimes I'll think like, where is this in the actual key that I'm thinking of in that second? So when I started it, I wasn't really thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this minor sounding line, then I'm gonna transpose that down. When I came up with this idea, I was just thinking, let's, uh, I was just, I think I was just playing, and I'm, I don't have perfect pitch, so I don't think these are the right starting actual pitches, but if I'm just thinking on my instrument, so B, C sharp, B flat, and then I sort of maybe hear that G flat, I kind of like that shape just as a sound on its own. So then I was thinking, okay, I want to keep that shape, but I want to maybe play it in a different key. And from there, I, that's when I think like, I just find that next starting note. And then I start with that same shape. Whereas when we started, and then I'm just off and then I'm just like repeating the pattern. But I, I like working on something like that because now it's like, okay, how do I want to practice it? When I um, was thinking about how I wanted to go about it, I didn't necessarily want to just go and play it in like all 12 keys or something because there was, with a pattern like that, there's going to be a lot of overlap and that's not really a fun exercise. So I wanted to just think, okay, what if I just try to play it where I start slowly and then as I get lower, speed up? And then try to do that cleanly and then teaching that to myself in like the first starting key. 
and then the next one where I jump back up to the high C and then trying to do that cleanly as well. Um, and then just working on that for a little while. And I actually get quite a bit out of something like that. One, I'm thinking about harmony and theory and maybe a, a way that I haven't exactly thought of it before. Um, and also obviously I'm getting the chance to like work on my te technique and get the pattern like as clean as I can. Now in the video, when I listen back, like in the first iteration of the line, there's one little part of it where I'm like, ah, oh, that's not like quite as clean as I want it. I think the second half of it sounds good. Um, but that's the thing with sharing this stuff or sharing anything online. I think it's actually best if I guess the rule I've heard is like get to 80% and then just be okay with letting stuff go. Um, and I, I do think that's very useful, like for any project really, because if you wait around for like getting it to perfection, you're almost never going to really get there or never be completely satisfied. Like the more you listen back to things, you'll find little tiny things. So that's essentially my rule with trying to share stuff now. And I think I'm fairly good at holding to that. Like I don't, I don't do like a hundred takes of something over the course of a month before I release it. I mean, typically like with that one reel, I tried to record it maybe 10 times. And when I started recording it, I was still kind of learning it. I didn't really have all the notes worked out. And then I got to the point where like, okay, I'm like, this sounds pretty good and I'm playing it fairly well. This is good practice. And now I'm just going to like share it and it'll be fine. Um, I think that's a kind of a useful way to, to think about projects because it can help you get more stuff done and just sort of like move on and just like keep the ball, the ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I wanted to try the, or hop on the uh, Instagram reels because I was seeing another um, saxophone player online who I wasn't actually really that familiar with, but I saw he had posted a bunch of these and he was just getting like ridiculous views. And I was just like, wow. Okay. So Instagram's really pushing this right now. Um, I think it would be wise to actually try this out. Um, and I figured out cause I typically really don't like releasing just the audio that my phone records. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah, it'd probably be fine, but I guess, you know, I'm pretty particular about my sound, obviously. <laughs> but what, what I figured out was I could record vertical video onto my phone and then record the audio into the microphone. And then um, in iMovie, this is actually something that I just learned. Let me just open up my iMovie just to make sure I'm telling you this correctly in case you wanted to try this. Um, when you have iMovie opened, um, let's see here, you go, oh right, so you just, instead of opening up or creating a new project, you go up to File, then go to New App Preview, and then click OK. And what that does is it opens up a new project, but now when you import the vertical video from your phone, it will show up without the blue bar or the black bars on the side and it's just the vertical video. So that 
then you can sync up the audio, the high quality audio that you're recording into the microphone to that vertical video. Then when you um, balance the video, it will balance as just a vertical video versus if you did it in just like a normal project in iMovie and then balance it, it'll show up with like as like a horizontal video with like the two black bars on the side of the vertical video. And there are other ways of getting around that, but I think this is the most straightforward and easiest way to actually do this. Um, so yeah, give it a try. I mean, it does seem like, uh, I don't know, like I guess Instagram's still um, experimenting with the reels, but it seems like, and I don't know if this is available for everyone, because I, apparently I've read that it's just maybe available for certain accounts and only maybe on like a temporary basis. So I don't really know yet, but it seems like you can actually make money on just your reels too. So they're, they're finally um, paying people for some percentage of views like YouTube has forever. Um, although again, I don't exactly know what that's gonna look like, but I'm curious to find out. Um, and of course, if they're pushing things, then I definitely want to get on board with that because I'm, I would love to uh, continue to build up my email list, especially because that is quite useful. And I just sent out an email um, to my list last Friday where I shared, um, I actually put up a, some sample lessons from my virtual studio on my personal website just for public um, viewing. And so I shared all the lessons from last month's Tune of the Month series, which is one of the things we do. I think I mentioned it or talked about it in the last podcast, but we do one of the things that we do. I mean, there's a lot of ongoing stuff in the studio, but one of the things is like a, I choose a tune that we're going to learn and we spend a whole month on the tune. So there are like multiple lessons each week and transcription challenges and different things. So last month we did, it could happen to you. And so I put all of those lessons from that specific series on one blog post on my website. So anybody that wants to check it out, that's curious can go watch the lessons and download all of the downloads, the PDFs and everything. And just get an idea of like what we do with that. And I can share that to everyone on my email list really easily. If I just did a post on Instagram, it's always kind of hit or miss, um, you know, and even like with the the uh, reels, let me just check, because I did a second reel today. Um, the first, the first reel that I posted yesterday currently has 2700 plays I think is what they call it the one that I did today has 685 um, which of course it's like a whole day longer on that first one but I feel like the first one has just gotten like a lot more um, eyes on it and that's something that's like I ne you never know I feel like the second video, I was like, oh man, this is going to do so much better because I thought the what I played was like more interesting. I thought it was better. I'm actually playing with like a 
a little backing track and actually playing a tune. Whereas in the first one, I was just doing like a the pattern that I was just talking about. So I figured the second one would do a lot better. It's not right now. I mean, maybe it will. Sometimes those will like sort of catch fire a little bit later, but that's what I'm talking about. I never really know, um, you know, to the extent that these things will be seen. But with the email list, it's pretty solid in terms of like, it's gonna get to your promotions folder if I send an email, if and hopefully it gets to your inbox directly. Sometimes it does, sometimes not. Sometimes it will go to spam, although I feel like that's much more rare because I'm getting pretty good open rates. Like I'm getting, a lot of times I'll get in the 40 percentage open rates. And right now there are almost a thousand people on the list. Um, so, you know, when I look at uh, Instagram, I think I've got something like 7,500 followers right now. And so the reel from yesterday with it getting, to, what was it, 2,700 views? I mean, that's, okay but it's nowhere near like the percentage rate that my emails are getting and the people that are on the email list if they've gone through that process of actually sending me their email and you know they're keeping an eye on it and actually opening the emails then those people are at a you know they're just at a higher interest level of you know my activities basically so that to me is really like the whole point of doing um, the social media stuff. I was just thinking about this too. You know, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that would be fine not even having Facebook or Instagram at all if it weren't for the necessity to actually have an audience. So that, you know, like for one, when I actually release music, I have people there ready to listen and I'm not just releasing it out to nobody basically um, but then too I really love being able to like teach people who are interested in learning so it's like this is an easy way to connect with people so um, but yeah I I mean yeah I also signed up for TikTok because I figured if I was gonna make the reels that's already like the format that TikTok uses so I was just like okay I could just post it there too I never want to go on TikTok again. <laughs> well, for one, I and again, I'm like brand new to it. I don't know uh, exactly. Maybe I'm maybe I need to have my settings changed, but like when I open it, it automatically plays some like random viral video. Like with the sound and everything. And it's not even giving me the choice to like, oh, do I want to watch this? It's like you will watch this now. <laughs> It's all just terrible. Um, yeah, so I mean, hopefully what I can do is just go on there, post the stuff, and then just like bounce and not not even like stay on there at all. Because um, again, I don't want to be missing out on connecting with people that actually are interested. But at the same time, I don't want to spend any time on there. I mean, I don't even really want to spend any time on any of it. I would rather like, go for a walk on a in a in the woods or read a book or do a hundred other things than scroll on any social media um but again i 
I don't know how to really get around that. I mean, I guess one way would be to have like somebody who does it for me. I would absolutely love to have some sort of like, um, uh, maybe like an assistant or somebody that could do a lot of that sort of stuff for me. Um, so if you're out there and you're listening and this sounds like the job for you, <laughs> let me know. Um, don't send me a message on TikTok though. Cause I won't see it, but yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am grateful that I, you know, it is like the era of the internet and I am able to connect with thousands of potential interested listeners. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of drawbacks, which hopefully I'm able to avoid and just, you know, do my thing, post stuff, interact with the people that are, want to interact with me and then just like get out. And hopefully I'm not wasting time on there or I'm not getting like too brainwashed or brain dead by like the dumbing down of everyone's attention spans. Um, yeah. How's that for a rant? Always, always good to have a little rant in, in these podcast episodes, but I was just thinking also, um, with getting back on Instagram that I was thinking, um, well, who all, who all watched, I guess it came out last year, the, uh, Bo Burnham special called inside. It was on Netflix. I'm assuming it's still on Netflix, but it, that just like totally knocked me out. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but man, that I was just in awe. And I've told some of my friends that I think it was like one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, obviously I would recommend it, but I was just thinking about him and I went on his Instagram page just to see what he's up to. And apparently he's released outtakes from that special on YouTube. And so I know what I'm going to be doing tonight. Going to be checking that out. I think I watched the special maybe like five or six times and I almost never rewatch anything. So, and I don't even think Emily's seen it. So I'm excited to, that's another excuse for me to watch it is like convince her to watch it with me again. Um, but yeah, he's just super inspiring. Um, in, in a lot of different ways, but like with the music and, him shooting the whole thing himself and writing it and doing all the lighting and doing everything just in one room um, by himself. And he spent, I think, maybe like a whole year on the thing. And it's just like crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like that's another bonus for something like Instagram. I can just like pop on there and see like, okay, let me just see what he's doing. Otherwise, I may not even even known that he released new stuff on YouTube. Um, I don't actually, now I think about it, I don't even know if I'm subscribed to his YouTube channel. Maybe I would have seen it if I was, but I don't actually know about that. Um, okay, let's see. I wrote down a couple of things I was going to talk about. Yes, I mentioned the sample lessons from the Tune of the Month series that we just did in my virtual studio, which are, you can find those on my website. Um, let me just pop open that site really quick just to see what it looks like on the, this is the 
on the the blog page. Um, yeah, there's one, two, seven um, blogs up right now on my on my website. Um, and essentially, what I'm going to do is like when I send an email to my email list, it'll be whatever I'm talking about and whatever I'm sharing will also be archived here on the blog. So if so, like as people join the email list, if they're not caught up, they can just go to this page and find all of the old emails that I've sent out and they'll have, you know, like all the downloads. So if I read through each of the blog posts, it's like Sean's practice room is the first one. That's the ongoing YouTube series. And then the second one is maximize your practice time this weekend. The third one is saxophone journal podcast. The fourth one is my transcription playlist. The fifth one is an etude for you. The sixth one is a quiz for your ears. And then the most recent one is what I've been talking about, tune of the month. So I like this because, you know, there's always people joining the email list as time goes on. And this way I can just say, okay, to catch you up to what's been going on, just come right to this page and you'll find everything. Um, and if somebody's like, oh, I, I wanted to check that one thing out from a few emails ago, if they can't find it in their email inbox, they can just like come to this page and it's all right here. And it will just stay here, um, hopefully for a long time so that you can just come on here and find everything that you want. So if I open up the most recent one, Tune of the Month, um, it says, the holy trinity of learning jazz improvisation as I see it is transcription, learning tunes, and playing with people. And I think I mentioned that in the last podcast episode as well. And then it says, in my virtual studio, one of the things we do is a tune of the month series. I'd like to share with you the lessons from last month's tune. It could happen to you. I add new lessons to the virtual studio each Friday, so I'll split up this post into four segments, one for each week. Also, here was the month's transcription challenge. So that's a link to a download folder. Okay, so if I scroll down, it's like week one, the first lesson is listening, the second lesson is, and, and under listening, there's like a description and a list of everything. The second lesson is melody, the third one is chord analysis, and then we're on to week two, which is root movement. Um, that's lesson number four, then basic patterns is number five, advanced patterns is number six, then we're on to week three, which is composed chorus, um, then a vocabulary lesson, then week four is trade with Sean, and that's the ninth lesson. Um, and yeah, so like under each lesson is a description and then a listing of like some timestamps and then also the downloads for the lesson. So everything is there and you can sort of like get a feel for what's going on in the virtual studio. and. As I was saying, this is just like one of the ongoing things. I do other lessons as well, not related to this Tune of the Month series, but this is sort of the thing that's become the staple that I like because there are different aspects to it. Like you can choose to do the transcription challenge, but, but you don't necessarily have to learn the Tune of the Month itself. You could just do like one of the transcriptions, get really into that, or you can just get really into like the chord analysis lesson if that's what you feel like you need or just like the vocabulary lesson or whatever it is there's like a lot of different aspects to it so yeah i like this
Um, and I think a month is actually like a perfect amount of time to really spend on a tune. I think when people, especially like in school, a lot of times people will try to learn like a tune a week. And if you're really practicing like a good amount and you're very dedicated, that can be done. However, I also feel like sometimes people don't go as in depth as they need to. And they may think they've learned a tune, um, although it's just in their short term memory. And then they go back to it maybe months or years later and, and figure out that it's not there. I know that's happened to me a lot. Um, so one of the things that I like to do now is go more in depth on something and just try to make it stick. Um, and I get more out of it if I spend more time and like choose more solos to learn over that tune, like solos that people have played. So try to learn more specific language and like do all of that. I think it's more helpful than just like zipping through and just trying to like cram a bunch of tunes. Something else that I was wanting to mention was this really fun band I've been playing in. It's called the Hickey Shanafelt Nine Elective, and it's a nonet, which means there are nine people in the band, and there's also one conductor. And it's led by Kent Hickey and Alex Shanafelt, and um, they are both um, Butler University grads, which is where I teach. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. They both write most of the music, and then people in the band write. Um, contribute some charts as well but they do most of the writing and it's a lot of like um, IU grad students and then a couple of Indianapolis based musicians and um, yeah it's fun I this is one of the few times where I really get to like play with other horn players because uh, I don't really do many gigs outside of just like I guess the jazz genre now. So uh, most of my playing is actually just with like small groups where I'm usually the only horn player. So that just on its own is actually really fun. Just getting to like try to blend and resonate with other horns sitting right next to you. <laughs> I haven't done a lot of that in the past few years. So that's, that's fun. And they're writing like some really fun, like modern, stuff and it's like they have like a really nice variety of music too um and some of the players well all the players are good everybody's everybody's good and they're all getting better all the time because they're either in school or just out of school and so they're all like really hungry and wanting to learn and like practicing and you know it's one of those things where you can show up and then you know maybe not see somebody for like a few weeks and then you hear them play again and they've noticeably improved um which is really cool uh and yeah so we just recorded an album a few weeks ago um and we've been playing some gigs they're they're really like proactive with booking gigs it's like it seems like usually we have at least one a month with that group um <clears throat> And yeah, so I'm excited for that. That's like a, a fun ongoing project. And it's, it's cool just to think too, that like a few of the students were my previous Butler students in, in combos that I led. And 
some of the guys were just like brand new with improvisation when they were in combo with me. And now they're like really plain. And it's just like, man, this is just like so cool. Um, it's cool to see their growth. And it's exciting to me because, you know, they're writing some stuff that's not necessarily easy. Like I show, I have to show up and like really be on my game just to make sure I'm doing a good job. And it's cool because like they're all like listening to whatever they're into. And so like their influences are then rubbing off on me. Whereas if I wasn't in the group, I may not be interacting with people or really even playing with people that much that are in like their mid or early 20s. And so it's kind of cool to get that because then I'm like, okay, well, what are you guys listening to? Or like, you know, where did you get this idea? And it's actually really nice. Um, I think I've maybe mentioned that idea before, but like being a musician, I think is, this is one of the things that makes it so special is that you get to interact with people from all sorts of different uh, age brackets, essentially. Um, you know, you can just take gigs where it's like going to be all more experienced players or or like brand new players or students or, you know, whatever. And everybody's at a different place and think and has like a, a different sort of like vantage point on how they think about music and and what they're working on. And it's just like an exciting thing. And I remember some of the first gigs we did with this band. I just remember like as we were playing and people were soloing, other people in the band were like just shouting out like encouragements to each other. And I was like, wow, man, older people like don't do this quite as much. I mean, I not to say they don't do it because I definitely experienced um, older people doing that as well. But it just seems to be like, man, these guys have that youthful energy that I don't even necessarily realized I was maybe lacking a bit of until I was thrown in there. And I was like, oh man, these guys are like, they're excited. They're really playing great. And the music is cool and it's fun. And actually this is like one of the few um, larger groups that is, that even exists in this area that's, that actually regularly works. Um, and so it's fun. Um, I was just thinking about, uh, oh, right. Yeah. I actually just taught a lesson yesterday. Um, I got an email from this friend of mine who's a band director at a, uh, school pretty close to here. And he's like, Hey, you know, this, uh, student wants saxophone lessons. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, he's going into seventh grade. And so he's, he actually played all this past school year was his first year of playing and he didn't bring any music with him. And, and so I was just sort of like writing out some notes on this page of manuscript paper just to sort of test his note reading ability. And he was like, boom, he's like B flat, G sharp, D flat, F. He was getting all the notes like in the staff really fast. And I wrote an A above the staff and he was like looking at it. He was like, I don't know that one. And then he had, he had named the F on the top line. I was like, well, you know, this is F. What if you work your way up from F? I was like, this is F. What's right above F, right on the top of the side? He's like, uh, G. He's like, yeah, okay. And then what's right above G, what would be next? And then he figured out it was A. And then he figured out B. And then 
we were trying to get up to C. And when I wrote the C out, he was like looking at it. He looked really stumped. And then I was like, well, just remember, like you're just going through the alphabet now. You got A and B. So what's going to be next? And then he got this like surprised, excited look on his face. And he said, C. <laughs> I was just like, it really caught me off guard because like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone get so excited about figuring out the note name for a note. <laughs> Most of the time if you're doing that exercise, the kids are so bored. They're just like F sharp, like blah, 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 whatever. Like just get, get me out of here. Let me go home and like play Xbox. But he was just like so in the moment and had this feeling of like overwhelming joy when he figured out it was C. And it wasn't me like, making him get excited. It was just his realization that he just figured something out on his own. And I was like, man, this is so cool. And I think actually like, as I've gotten older, I've actually appreciated working with younger students more because of this exact thing. It's like they, when they really are open to learning and like they're really trying, I mean, obviously they can pick stuff up super fast, which is like, makes it really cool but then just like those moments of genuine joy when they discover something and like realize that they really learned something and their reaction is just like so cool because it's just such like this pure emotion of uh that you that you have as a as a kid um yeah so that was yesterday his his name is Micah, and he's, I think he could be really good because he also played piano for a couple of years, I guess, before he started saxophone. So he has like some basic music knowledge already. He And I was just writing out some rhythms, and he was already getting like the dotted quarter rhythm. I was just like, I'm just going to jump to this and see if he gets it. And he was he was getting it. Um, he's one of those ones where if he like really sticks with it, uh he could be good. And I, I think I, I feel like I say that a lot, but I think it takes, you know, a cup. There's like a lot of different factors. I mean, obviously like he's got to be into it on some level on his own. It can't just be me and his parents, like forcing it on him. He's got a, the light, the uh, light bulb has to go off for him at some point where he's like, Oh, music. Like, yeah, I actually want to work on this, even though it's kind of hard to really work on it. Um, but the other thing is like, yeah, if he's in lessons, of course that's helpful, but he's gotta be consistent. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I met his dad yesterday and he seemed like really into it, you know? Um, and so hopefully, yeah, it could be, could be exciting. It's like, I think the other side of it too is like he could be into it or he could have some natural talent, but then there's always that point where it's like he realizes practicing is hard. Um, I mean, everyone sort of does, but like hopefully he's going to be one of those students where he, he's like, he, he understands that when he practices, he gets better and that makes it even more fun. So then he wants to do the hard work to keep, um, improving. And then it's this like cycle that sort of, it's like a, a snowball rolling down the hill that just connects 
or collects more snow gets bigger as you go. Um, yeah, so we'll see. That's always the trick. Um, try to just like keep them inspired or just inspire them in the first place. Um, yeah, a lot of times it does feel like it's out of my hands. I feel like I can give like the best lessons I possibly can and they come back next week and they're like, oh, I forgot to practice or I didn't have time to practice, which <laughs> don't even get me started on the I don't have time to practice thing. Um, but yeah, you just like trying to get them to just put in a little work at home because that half an hour a week with me is like essentially nothing. Like they're not going to really improve. I mean, they'll improve if they're in band every day and doing a lesson with me. But beyond that, it's just like, well, they, they have to take responsibility. Um, so let's see, I had a, a couple of questions I wanted to answer in this podcast. Um, and I think I'm going to do that now. I, my throat was actually slightly sore yesterday, so I don't want to like overdo it with the talking which can be a thing that I've noticed for myself. And so I think um, I'm just going to answer these two questions and then call it a podcast. And uh, it'll be a little bit shorter than the others, but that's all right. Um, if you get, If you feel like you need more, go check out my old YouTube vlogs. Those are fun. Even if you see them, there's like a hundred of them. So you'll probably, you probably have forgotten the early ones. You can go watch them again. <laughs> or you can watch, go watch Bo Burnham's special on Netflix called Inside. Um, so the first question I wanted to answer was one that I've been asked by various people at various times. And I always thought it was like kind of a, funny one but well so the question is how do you play fast and the answer is well I don't know let me think about this <laughs> okay well well first of all what I want you to do, put your hand on a on a flat surface I guess you don't even have you can just hold your hand up but if you put it on a flat surface maybe you can hear this if I Put my hand next to the microphone. Okay, so that's my fingers tapping on my notebook here. And you can hear my fingers are moving very fast. It's basically like they're just moving as fast as I would ever need to to play a song. Okay. The the issue is not physically moving your fingers fast when you play just about anyone. Although I say that I've been playing instruments for like two decades. So maybe I've built up a little bit of finger speed. Perhaps that could be a thing. But my, my guess is that even if you haven't played an instrument, you can just move your fingers fast in the air, like very, very quickly. Um, as fast as I can. And, as, and probably faster than I even typically do when I play my instrument itself. So 
the issue isn't the, the physical ability to just move my fingers fast, right? It's it's actually putting information into that motion. So that's what I have to figure out is like, at what speed can I actually um, put information essentially onto my keys or into my instrument? Um, and there's gonna be a certain speed that we can do that comfortably, and then there's gonna be a breaking point that we all naturally have. And what you wanna do is figure out what that is. So if you have a tune you're working on, let's say good old Cherokee, because that's one that a lot of people like to play fast. If you're playing, if you're practicing Cherokee, just say, let's say like you have a play along and you're just like practicing the tune. Um, you wanna figure out, okay, what tempo can I actually play eighth notes and where I can do it where I'm, I feel like 100% of the time I am playing without messing up, I'm playing what I hear, I'm playing the changes, you know, all the normal things that I'm that are, are a goal when I'm improvising. Obviously, I'm not getting lost. I'm playing it with good time, good sound, um, playing the changes clearly, playing what I hear, all that stuff. Not just skating through the changes, as we say, or just like sort of BSing and not really playing the changes, but really playing it. You want to find what tempo you can do that at. From there, it's just uh, the basic matter of gradually working up the speed. And one thing that I've done a lot on, on various tunes, and especially I, I think about when I first learned Giant Steps, this was really helpful for me, is just being fairly regimented with just like finding a starting tempo where it feels easy and then just going up like one click or one beat per minute faster and then just like really working on that tempo and then bumping it up one more click and just going one click at a time. So obviously like that's gonna take you longer, but just think of all of the reps that you've put in on the tune at that point. So then it's like, okay, let's say you went up just three clicks a day for a month. Um, so that would be three times 30, which would be 90. So let's say you started at 100 beats per minute, which let me pull up my uh, metronome here just to get an idea. And we can sort of like, oh, that's the tuner. We can get an idea of like what this would sound like. So if I'm at 100, uh, it sounds like this. So this is, let's pretend this is quarter note and it could be any, it could be eighth note even, but boom, 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 boom. All right, so that's quarter note. One, two, three, four, five, boom, 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 Okay, so that's like, let's say, well, let's think about Cherokee. Boom. All right, so let me just sing some eighth notes on Cherokee. Boom, 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 ba, 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 ba,
Okay, so that's essentially like the speed of your eighth notes if you're at quarter note equals 100. If, so if you go up three clicks a day, by the end of the month, you'll be up to 190, which means you're almost, you've almost doubled your speed. And now you're up to here. That's pretty good. So if you actually did that every single day and you bumped up your speed just three clicks, so that's pretty slow. I think you'll get to that point where it's just going to feel more comfortable to essentially just input that information. And if I think about that speed, if I'm moving my fingers at like eighth note, if I just move my fingers, just take two of your fingers, just go, that's pretty easy. Like physically, it's not, it, it's not really the issue. It's just a matter of, putting the information that you have in your head into the instrument. That's where it gets tricky. So yeah, that's in a nutshell, that's what it's all about. Finding the tempo that you can do it where it feels easy and then gradually bumping it up. And yes, there may be days where it's like, okay, I can't actually keep bumping it up without messing up. All that means is you wanna slow it back down and just spend more time you could bump it back down like 10 clicks or something, build it back up again and spend more time on each individual metronome marking just to sort of like give you a little bit more strength as you're trying to get over that next hump. But if you stick with that, you will absolutely be able to continue to bump up the tempo and you'll get to the point where it'll feel like essentially easy to play fast. This is what I did when I first started playing with the Tucker Brothers, they were wanting to play like um, uh, that. Well, that tune, My Shining Hour. Um, like that tempo, whatever that is. I don't know, too high 200s maybe let's see yeah so like 2 270 so like there and even faster sometimes and when we first started that i definitely was folding i could not do it i was like wow i just haven't really spent time with with these tempos so what i would do is exactly what i'm saying i would go boom like I was just trying to play eighth notes at this tempo. Then the next day, 
and then the next day, then the next day, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, like that, you just got to work up and just be, um, just be strict in terms of not letting yourself slide if you're, if you get to the point where you're sort of like flubbing it, you know. Um, when I first learned giant steps, I was like, all right, I'm just going to break this down to the most basic elements. And what I did was I started learning it as a ballad. And I would just walk a bass line just to help myself hear the chord changes. So I was just playing, um, uh, yeah, basically just like quarter notes. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so if I'm playing chord notes, boom, 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 one, two, three, like that's the tempo, and I'm just playing chord notes. I would sort of like move that uh, marker up just like a little bit faster, and then at a certain point, I would switch back to that original speed, and I would play eighth notes. Um, but I just went incredibly slow and took many weeks building up and just gradually built up to the point where I could just play eighth notes at whatever speed I wanted to basically now. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of like taking that time. And I feel like what most people try to do is they're like, okay, I can play a tune like here. Ba -boom, ba -ba -boo -ba -boom -boom. Now I'm just gonna try to play fast. And they're they're just trying to leap ahead too far and not working on building your way up there. And again, like it's not the issue of like moving your fingers faster. It's like you've actually gotta move at a speed where your your fingers can download the information from your brain and put it into the instrument. That's what you're not allowing time to happen. Um, so you, like that's that's essentially what you got to do. Um, I think that's that's it in in the nutshell. I, I don't really think. Well, there actually there's one other exercise that um, David Berkman had us do, and it was um, I remember trying to play Cherokee in one of his combos, and we were playing it like kind of kind of fast and like. One of the things that he was saying is, well, if, you, if you're not comfortable playing in this tempo, you can try to just like find something that you can play. So for example, you could just go So I'm just playing the roots. Or you could go like then eventually you get to that point where you hear more things and you can execute more ideas but like just starting out really simple even just Ba-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-ba-do-
Um, so I'm starting out just like very basic, just like a simple rhythm on one note. And then, you know, you can sort of like plug in more notes. If you think of like a cool rhythm, like a you know, then I'm getting away from it um, as I feel comfortable, but you don't even have to do that. You can just keep the rhythm the same, start plugging in different notes and just making sure that obviously like you're keeping your place in the form. Uh, <clears throat> that's a, a, a really useful thing, especially if you're getting into playing like odd meters, um, just giving yourself like a stagnant rhythm that doesn't change and just plug in notes. You'll start to hear the form more naturally and then your brain will start to hear more ideas just on top of that and it'll, it'll want to vary things up. It, it'll say like, no, don't let me, or don't make me stay stuck on this rhythm. Let me like spread my wings and then you'll naturally start to hear more things on it. Um, but yeah, just really trying to like get inside that groove with like something simple and just like repeat it and make sure you've got it and then allow yourself to break away but only when you feel totally relaxed and comfortable not if you if you feel frantic still then then it just means you need to either simplify what you're doing or slow the tempo back down and then work your way back up yeah so hopefully that answers that question well if if you have any other questions definitely um send me an email at saxophonejournal at gmail.com and that's where i'm sort of like collecting specific commas and questions for this podcast so that it's in one specific area so that it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of other email addresses. Um, but I do have one other question that I want to answer as well. And this one comes from the esteemed Stephen Georges. That's the second time his name has been spoken on this episode. So Stephen, this is a special episode. <laughs> when he uh, was he's he came by my estate the other day to he's just that friendly he's just driving around he just wanted to come say hello and ask a question for the podcast <laughs> actually he was helping me with something um, on my instrument because I do this weird fingering for a high um, F sharp, which is not the correct way to do the fingering, but I, I don't know. I just like it. So he's, he's got my horn set up so that I can do this. Um, so his, he, I asked if, if he had any questions and his question is, it's a good one. It's actually a very good one. Um, and I, I like it because it's something that I've thought about. And I feel like I've thought about it pretty thoroughly. And I've, I feel like I've actually answered it for other students in the past. And um, so, yeah. But I do think it's one that maybe people don't necessarily think about it or they assume that they're doing something either correctly or incorrectly and don't necessarily know what to do about it. But the question is, what's in your head while you are improvising? So think about that just for a second. If you yourself are someone that has 
improvised. What is in your head when you're doing it? Have you ever thought about that? Um, just, yeah, mull that over for a moment and then I'll give you what, um, what my answer is. Okay, so um, I think the typical thing that that people do, um, I guess in general, when you're improvising, I think what most people do is actually think about the chord changes and they'll think about it in two ways, both the chord that they are on in that very exact moment and then also what's coming up right after that chord. And I actually think this is the wrong approach. Now, <laughs> well, okay, so if that's the wrong approach, approach, what, what are you supposed to think about? You're, think about the errands you're gonna run this weekend, think about your grocery list. No, what I believe um, you're supposed to be able to do now, I certainly do not do this every time, um, but I would aspire to, is to actually have your mind blank and you're just listening to the sound, the sound of the band that you're playing with mainly, and then also you're just trying to hear that internal sound that you naturally hear. Um, and I feel like, uh, especially, uh, for like beginner or less experienced improvisers, this is something that's really hard to grasp because for one, you're not even necessarily used to hearing, um, sounds on top of like a recording. Now, I think a lot of people will walk around, even non-musicians, they'll walk around or just do be doing whatever it is they'll be cutting the grass for example they might just be thinking random thoughts or just like while they're doing the dishes for example they might just have random thoughts come through their head but occasionally a, an actual song will pop up in their head now think about that for a minute when that song comes in your head are you thinking actual words now you may be thinking lyrics if the song has lyrics or you may just sort of be hearing the melody without lyrics and just be sort of like humming that to yourself. So let's take a tune. Um, what about like Somewhere Over the Rainbow? This is a tune that most people know and most people could just hear the melody in your head. Just try that for a moment. Just, just hear the melody of Somewhere Over the Rainbow in your head. Don't think about the lyrics. Just, and don't hum it or sing it. Just hear it in your head for a second. Okay, now, as you hear that, now I've, I've I heard like the first few pitches. I'm just gonna sing the notes that I heard. Now, most of us, if you're if you know that tune and you're able to hear it in your head, you can then reproduce that with your voice. And most of the time you can get pretty close to that starting pitch. That's usually the hardest part is actually just getting your voice to line up 
with the starting pitch that you had in your head. But once you get started and you've got your first pitch, then it's pretty easy to actually sing relatively in tune. Um, I guess that melody is a little trickier because it has big leaps, but we're going to be able to get pretty close. If that one's hard for you, maybe just pick a an easier melody, like obviously you could do Happy Birthday or... Um, I don't know, some like very easy melody that you know you could sing and you know you could like nail it. That's, you do, you want to do that exact same thing when you're improvising. The only difference is that you're actually making up the melody. Now, this is one of like the million dollar questions is how do you do that? Well, no one really knows the answer. <laughs> Just like no one knows why any thoughts jump in our head at any given point. And it's why I don't even know what the word is that I'm going to say until the second before it comes out of my mouth because that's just when it appeared in the back of my brain. And then I directed it out of my mouth using my lungs and tongue and lips to create the sound. But if I think, I don't, so I don't know what I'm gonna say in 10 seconds, right? but I'm just working through my thoughts. That's exactly what you're doing when you're improvising. Now, the what I started with saying is that I don't think you should be thinking about chord changes. And the reason for this is when people are thinking about chord changes, they're getting too analytical and they're actually thinking their way through a solo rather than hearing their way through it. Now, if I'm just playing with a band and let's just say we're playing like a blues and they're just playing like a B flat blues. That's my bass line right there. Now if I hear that going, I'm gonna hear a solo. Okay, that's exactly what I'm doing. When I'm singing that, I am just hearing those pitches and I've played, um, especially like a 12 bar blues enough to the point where I can hear the chord changes or at least hear the basic progression in my mind and I can then hear a new melody that's going along with that. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm on C7, oh, I'm on F7. Oh, I'm back to C7. Oh, I'm on A7 or I'm on D minor. My goal, if I'm playing at my very best, is I'm not thinking about chord changes, but I'm only hearing the sound of the band and then I'm putting my melody with that. And I'm, again, just like I'm speaking now, I don't know what that melody is going to be in 10 seconds, but I'm just developing it as it goes, just like I don't know what, what word I'm going to be saying in 10 seconds. I'm developing this idea as it goes. So anybody that speaks any language fluently is improvising, right? It's like 
Now they're saying words. That's really the only difference is when we're playing an instrument, um, we are just hearing the sound and we are just playing sound rather than playing words. So I'm, I'm playing and in real time, I'm just executing those sounds that are coming into my head and really trying to not think about chord changes. When I start thinking about chord changes, typically something's wrong. And either A, I don't know the tune well enough, and that's typically where that happens. Is like, if I'm not super comfortable on a tune, then I have to think, oh yeah, what chord does it go to here? Because maybe I'm not hearing it right, or I just haven't played the tune enough, or I haven't worked out um, the sort of like harmonic framework in my mind and on my instrument. If I do that, like I just demonstrated on the blues, then I can be totally free and not have to think about it. But it takes a lot of sort of legwork. So that um, is the big reason why you want to, to, when you learn tunes, you want to fully memorize it. Definitely to the point where you don't have to read it, but even to the point where you don't have to think about what the actual um, chords are. You just want to get to the point where you're just hearing it and you can just play freely and naturally over that. Um, so I think that's the big thing that I, I hear with younger players is that it's very clear to me that they're thinking the changes and they're not connected to that sound in their head, which is they, we all have it, right? Cause we're all speaking. We all get that sound. And if we all listen to a song, you might be able to hum along with the melody. That's the same thing. Or you might be able to hum a, a new little part to the song that's not in the original song. That's exactly the same thing too. Even if it's just like a little let's just put that into like the next song you hear on the radio. That's you improvising. Now just do that to the nth degree and you'll be able to play over tunes. Now a lot of other things come into play too. It's like, I wanna have a lot of language worked out. I wanna know a lot of tunes. That gives me ammunition to really create things in the moment. Like if I haven't done that legwork, it's gonna be really hard to hear ideas and and um, also obviously execute these ideas in real time. So that's where like transcription and learning tunes and doing a lot of playing comes into play. But essentially that's what's happening. I want my mind to be blank. I just wanna hear the sound of the band and I'm just gonna put my melody with that sound. And the melody is typically just gonna like show up in your brain. Um, that's where the mystery part of it comes in. Now, I don't think this is something that it's like, this only happens to certain people. I think it, it happens with anyone who's done enough listening and then really actually tries to improvise. Like eventually when you hear a tune, um, like if I just sat down at my piano, hold on, I'm just gonna pull, I'm gonna pull my microphone over to my piano just for a second. Hopefully you'll be able to hear this. I'm gonna try this out. Let's see, see if I can get this close enough here. This is something I actually do with um, my students sometimes and it works pretty well. They'll be, we'll be playing on like a blues or something and they'll be playing a lot of stuff they're not hearing. They'll be playing bit. So basically random notes because one, they may not know the changes very well or two, they haven't just played it enough to hear ideas, but we'll just play something like,
So we'll just go and I'll have them sing just whatever they're hearing. Okay, hopefully that all came through on this microphone. So what I was doing there, I was, I've, I've got the blues worked out well enough on the piano where I can play through it where I don't have to really think about the changes. I mean, I'm not doing anything too crazy. I'm just doing like some basic voicings and like roots in the left hand, but I'm playing through that and then I'm just listening, not thinking about changes. I'm just hearing, if I just play this. When I sing that, I'm just, that's just something I'm hearing in my head. You can just hear one note. Or so the idea is just hear and don't think just listen don't think about the changes and that's what you want to be happening in your head. Um, the, the more you can do that where you're not having actual words come in your head, where you're just thinking, um, but you're just listening and you're just hearing sound and you're lost in that sound, the better off you're going to be because you're going to be able to get into that, that sort of flow state or the zone where you're able to just develop this um, idea, which is just sound. It's not a theoretical thing. I mean, the theory helps us understand it and, and learn more and um, develop more ideas. But when it comes to just playing, you can't be thinking about the theory. You just have to just play. And anyone here, when you just hear that chord, just try to hear one note in your head. And then just sing that note. Okay, try to hear two notes. For me, it's ba. So that's what I'm hearing. think I've ever done that before play piano and sing into the microphone all simultaneously but <laughs> I think I'm getting the point across is that 
during all of that, I'm never thinking about the core changes. Now, I've done a lot of work to the point where I have thought about the changes when I'm practicing. That's going to help you start to hear all the different movements. I've done a lot of legwork where I've figured out harmony and when you work through harmony really slowly, then you start to make all these new connections. Like if I'm just trying to go from the one chord, if I just want to play something like, something like that, I know when I'm going from that one chord, it's got the D natural to go into the four, it's got the D flat. So something like Now to a diminished Down half steps So I have thought through a lot of that theory to the point where I build up these frameworks for my ears so that now my ears know, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to this two, down a half step to the four, then up to diminished four, then back to the one, then four, down, that's how we practice but when it comes to just playing all you want is just sound you just can hear that chord go ahead and sing a little bit That'll be $30. No. <laughs> that, that in a nutshell is what you want to happen when you play, assuming you're not practicing. When I'm actually performing improvising or if I'm just practicing improvising at home, I don't want to be thinking changes. If I, again, if I have to think what they are, I haven't done the legwork to the point where I've already got the form and the chord progression in my mind um, to where it's second nature. But that's what you got to have worked out. Um, I think most people don't really get to that point where A, they've got it fully memorized, or B, they've got it really ingrained to the point where they can not think about a, a chord and they, they can just play in a different key. So now let me just demonstrate first. I'm just going to play, I'm just going to pick a random key. I'm actually going to play it up a half step. So I'm going to play in, I was just in B flat, now I'm going to play it in B. Uh, natural. Let's play the blues again. So this is our first chord. Now I'm going to sing again, and but this time I'm in B. 
There we go. I just did it. I wasn't thinking any of those notes. Now, do I know what the notes are? Yes, because I've done this so much to the point where I know if I go I know that's five six one six five one flat three and there we go so now in real time I can execute that those notes on my instrument So I'm just trying to, to demonstrate there. I'm just singing along and I'm executing the notes because I've I mean, again, my, my piano isn't like obviously to the level where I can play saxophone, but I can still execute basic ideas that I'm hearing in my head and I can figure out what the notes are. Now that is just a matter of playing your instrument a lot so you can make that connection. Like we could all probably do something really simple. But we just went... You could just do that on any instrument where you're singing... This is why I like demonstrating things on piano because like on saxophone, I obviously can't demonstrate singing along with playing. But here I can sing. So it's like there I can just in real time make that connection with what I'm hearing to the instrument. And then that's typically the other biggest hurdle that people um, really face when they, even if they like know the tune really well, it's like, okay, now I got to make sure I'm, I'm executing what I'm hearing in my head. But essentially, once you start doing that, it gets, I think it's a fast learning curve with that specific skill. Um, so that's, I guess, essentially what it comes down to is that like your mind just should be um, just listening to the sound and then you're just singing that new melody that you're creating. Just like you sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, you're just actually making it up. You're making up your own melody over this progression that you've studied to the point where you hear it really well and you know what it sounds like. You know what the notes like uh, theoretically are for all the chords and then you're just working it out. So if you have any other questions with that or any other um, topics you'd like me to 
delve into, feel free to email me, um, saxophonejournal at gmail.com. Thank you again to the one and only Stephen Georges for uh, supplying that excellent question. And until next time, happy practicing. <laughs>